So we are continuing in our series through Mark. We're walking through it, having a little conversation, a little dance with it. If you're watching out there online, um, you're just going to get the wide shot today, and hopefully it will make it through because, you know, in this new world of charging, we, there's a lot of things to charge, and so things did not charge this week. And so we will hope that we make it through for you all out there online. Line. I used to. I was friends with this pastor back in Wisconsin, and Lutheran guy, amazing, amazing guy. And he would always begin his services by saying "Namaste." And I don't know if you're familiar with this term "Namaste," but it is really kind of a Buddhist term, um, kind of an Eastern cultural term that we basically means "I bow to you." And he would always begin his service, and I thought, that's strange. But the more that I was thought about it, and I, I kind of was, I wasn't really part of it, but the more I thought about it, it was like, maybe that is a beautiful way to begin your service, to say namaste. And the idea is like, I see the divine in you. I see the spark of God in you. I see your sacred worth that God has put there, that no one can take, that no one else can take away. And so I bow to that. Namaste. Maybe we could have that attitude with one another, right? Maybe that would be a better world if we went into every conversation, every relationship, every interaction that we had. And the first thing that we thought about was the divine within that other person, the image of God within that other person, the goodness that God has put on that other human being, I recognize it and I bow to it. Maybe that would be, maybe we'd have a lot better interactions in the world, right? If we began with that sort of interaction with others. As we talk about Mark 5 this morning, I want you to keep that in mind because I think that plays here in this idea. Like we're going to, you've, you've read this parable before. You have heard this story before many, many times And I'm not going to claim that I'm going to bring anything new to you. But what I want you to see here is there's something bigger going on. There is the event that's happening, but then there is the other meaning that the scriptures are screaming to us that aren't evident. We got to uncover them a little bit. So, you ready? You ready? Dun, 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 dun. Remember that 90s song? You ready? No? Okay, never mind. I'm all by myself. Mark 5. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes, where Jesus got out of the boat, and a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Remember about the strong man we talked about a couple weeks ago? Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had just said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out to the, to, of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us into the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirit came out and went to the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the land, into the lake, and were drowned. 
Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw a man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people who had, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Get out of here, please. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has shown mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell all across the capitalists how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is the word of God for us and all the people of God. This, there's a lot here to unpack. This is a pretty long scripture this morning, so um, I hope you brought your coffee and your popcorn because we're going to unpack it all. So Jesus here is moving across the lake. At the, at the end of the last chapter, you see that there was a storm. Jesus is going across the lake. Jesus gets to the other side. Now, what's very interesting to note about the other side of the lake is that this was not a Jewish population. On the other side of the lake. When the Romans came and King Herod was in cahoots with the Romans, King Herod set up many Gentile towns, port towns, in order to make money. And so they would bring non-Jewish people in to migrate, to settle in those spaces. They were, it was, it was a very strange situation for the Jews because this was the Jewish land. This was their land. And, but yet other people, outsiders, were coming in and colonizing the land. But yet Jesus went over to the other side to meet them. The reason that specifically that Jews did not live in this place where they were going is that it's believed that this place that, that they were going, Gerasenes, was actually an ancient burial site. It was, in many ways, an ancient tomb site, an ancient burial place, uh, a cemetery, so to speak. And the people had colonized this ancient burial grounds, which to a Jew, you would never do. I mean, this was very much like a, a Native American understanding. If someone was buried there, this is sacred ground, and you wouldn't want to live on that space. You wouldn't want to go on that space. The same thing with the Jews. But the Gentiles here, these Romans, didn't have this same sort of attitude. They were like, well, fine, it's good land. We're going we're gonna, to you know, build houses over this, and no one will care. No one will know that down there, there are dead people. And so, but this, to a Jew, was, was like unsacred. This was, in many ways, um, a, a profane that anyone would do this. And so when Jesus meets this demon-possessed man who had been living in the tombs, there's a bigger story going on here. This is not just about one person who was demon-possessed living in the tombs. This was about a whole group of people living life in the tombs. And so maybe you've heard this story, and we become sort of, um, we pay attention to this deliverance, right? To this exorcism, to there was a demon-possessed man. We're like, whoa, what does that look like? Weird, this guy must have been crazy. And Jesus sets him free. But like, I read this story this week, and I'm like, whoa, there's some other stuff going on here that's a little bit sketchy. Like, look, look at this. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. What? I mean, this is another human being. They wanted to bind him with chains? For he had often been chained hand and foot 
but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. What? I mean, like, what, 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 what kind of situation was the community in? You see, I don't think this story is about this demon-possessed man. I think it's about everybody else in this place. Like, what were they doing? Why were they so terrified? What in the situation was that they isolated and marginalized and literally chained up another human being? Why did they do that? We, but we do that all the time, don't we? No, we don't. How dare you? We don't marginalize people and send them into chains and put them behind bars because we don't know what else to do with them. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This man was suffering in deep and profound ways. And it seems like because the society, the community around did not know what to do with him, was scared of his reactions, they isolated him in such a way, chained him up, imprisoned him in an unsacred space where there was nothing but suffering. Could they even see the holiness still within this person? Now we say, well, the man was possessed by a devil. The man was possessed by a demon. So maybe he needed to be there. But, but like, there's lots that we don't know about demon possession and what this was like in the situation. Maybe this man was, had something else going on. Maybe there was something bigger than just that here. When Jesus saw him from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice. Have you ever interacted with somebody? Have you ever, have you ever come up to somebody that's maybe different from you in some way? And, and immediately they begin to lay into you. Have you, ever, have you ever had this? Like Immediately there's all this anger. There's all this frustration. There's all of this, this emotion that people bring, right? Have you ever been in this situation? And, and what, usually, what usually happens? It's, it's for me. I'm just like, hold on there. Like, you're just, you need to back up and calm down here because it's not my fault. Whatever you're saying, it's not my fault. I just, I, just, I just got here. I just got here. I just got out of my car and I'm right here. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Right? Like, oftentimes when we meet people with lots of emotion, with lots of trauma, we immediately get offended. We immediately like, this is not my fault. Stop it. I'm, I'm not that one to blame here. Jesus could have done that too. But what did Jesus do? Jesus asked him his name. Tell me about you. Who are you? You know, I think a lot of times in the, when we talk about there's this beautiful sort of line of study is trauma-informed care of, of understanding not what, some, not what someone is saying or, or the reacting in such a way, but understanding what happened to a person in their past that has brought and left so much trauma in their lives that now that is coming out in certain ways. Maybe if we were diligent enough to see the deep humanity in another person, we wouldn't just see how they're reacting in this moment, but we would diligently try to get to an understanding of what happened to them in their past. 
What trauma was inflicted on them? What suffering have they gone through? What deep grief are they carrying around? Because all of us are, right? All of us are. And sometimes that gets the best of us and sometimes that comes out. And oftentimes when we're interacting with people that we don't really know or understand, we immediately get offended, we immediately get mad, and in that always shuts down everything. But Jesus here didn't do that. This man was yelling at him. And he comes and says, and says what is your name? Tell me your name. What about you? My name is Legion, he replied, and this is the demon speaking, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. That is interesting. Why not? Because maybe that's the home of this space. Maybe there's something deep here. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. Pigs aren't called herds, by the way. I'm not sure what, I used to know this, but a large group of pigs is not called a herd. It's called something else. Anybody know? Anybody know what a large, any pig farmers are here? I don't, I don't know either. Um, but it's not called a herd. And that's interesting. The second thing about this pig herd is that pigs were profane to Jews. They, pigs... They, they, were, they were considered unclean animals. Jews would not have pigs anywhere. But yet, these were pig farmers in this land, in this Jewish land. The outsiders had come in and had started pig farming in a, in a place that they must have known, right? That the pigs were profane to the inhabitants of the place. This is like going into a black neighborhood in many ways and deciding to set up a business to sell nooses. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Do you know how deeply offensive this is to us? But yet, it was the market economy, right? And we got to make a business, and we got to do what we got to do, and this is just business. This is not personal. This is like, we just got to make a living here. We're sorry that our business may offend you, but might I remind you, this is capitalism, and we just need to make as much money as we can. And so Jesus sent these demons into these pigs. This is, this is fascinating. This, this also can be described. You know what else was um, a, a herd was a military term. And 2,000 units was a military unit. And legion is a military unit. And Jesus may be speaking here on this sort of militarized cultural influence that the Gentiles had. That they had brutally used the military to take away people's dignity, to take away people's homes, to take away people's lives, and have become so entranced by the power of violence that that's all that matters. And they themselves had been living in the tombs and had been full of despair because they had given themselves over to this violence that has destroyed people's lives. And all that they can think about is themselves. They're not thinking about the place that they're on, how they, their, their market may be affecting other people around them. They have just become so selfishly motivated that they can't even see how their actions were affecting their neighbors. And then if their neighbors had any problem with it, why are you getting offended at us? What are you doing? We're just living here. Maybe... 
that sort of life of selfishly pursuing whatever is good for me is a life in the tombs, a life in despair, a life. And so the pigs rushed down into the lake and were drowned. Their market was ruined. Jesus here ruined their market. He ruined their economic sustainability. We think Jesus is just really nice and wearing Birkenstocks and putting kids on his lap and like, we love Jesus. He's the best, right? The long hair and I mean, we even have white Jesus with blue eyes and light skin and fairest of them all and we just like that Jesus. But we might not like the real Jesus. We might not like very much the real Jesus who's willing to destroy a whole market, economic market, because it is actually destroying other people's lives. It is actually dividing you from understanding and being in relationship with another group of people. We don't often think that way, do we? We just think business is business. But so often the business that we do that is good for us is not good for another group of people. And this other group of people is suffering because of the business that we're participating in. And we're just like, well, you know, what am I supposed to do? And Jesus here would have none of that. And Jesus here was saying, this is destroying us all. We need another way. Jesus is disrupting. Jesus is disrupting their market, disrupting their lives because it needed to be. Because they could no longer see each other because of this thing that was happening, because of this market. And those tending the pigs ran off and reported this into the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. Of course they did. What did, what, Jesus, what did you just do? What did you just why are you even here? Look, look what's going on. Look what's going on. While they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of doom sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. A, a, a fear is an interesting reaction to the liberation of another person, isn't it? Fear. What is happening? We come fear and we, we, like, we don't understand what's happening. We're afraid of how this may affect us. We're afraid of our own interests. We fear like there may be some threat here. This person may be some threat to our lives. Wait a minute. He was just living, it chained up in the tombs, and now he has been liberated, and you're afraid of that? Why is that? Why is that? If the liberation of another person makes us afraid or uneasy, it is probably because we, in some way, were benefiting off of their enslavement, off of their suffering. Mm. I mean, this is not, I mean, this has not, I, I get it, this has, this is really out of touch and has nothing to say to us today, right? Like nothing. Or maybe it does. Maybe we put our market economy above people's lives, don't we? Maybe we put our own business interests above the needs of suffering children in our society. 
Maybe we like the way that things are and, and things are going good for us, Jesus. And so like you can talk about the soul's worth and you can talk about getting to heaven after we die and we can sing songs together. But Jesus, do not disrupt my economics. No matter how they may be affecting another group of people, don't do it. That's off limits for you, Jesus. And if you happen to liberate someone that is now going to affect us in some ways, no, we will react. We will remove ourselves. We will stand up for what we believe in. And so those who had seen it told the people that it happened, what had happened to the demon-possessed man. They didn't, they, they, like, they didn't care. This man had been liberated. And that wasn't the thing. It wasn't the thing, was it? And they told them about the pigs as well. It was about the pigs. This is about the pigs. Jesus, don't mess with our business. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. Get out of here. Just get it. I mean, I mean, like what? Jesus comes, sets a man free, does this miracle, and they're like, you got to get out of here, dude. We don't want you here. We don't want you here. And we're like, we would never do that. Yeah, we would. We do it all the time. Preachers and people come and they point out to us how our lives are intermeshed in injustice in, in unhealthy and profane economic systems, that we are part of systems that deny people access to health care, that deny people's dignity, that deny a hum, other, other humans' worth, that we are part of systems of racism and, and supremacy. And if anybody says anything to us, we're like, Jesus, get out of here! We don't want that here. We don't want it. That's not what the gospel's about. That's us too. In so many ways, we as a society are living in the tombs, living on the land of racism that is destroying us all. And we're tying it up and keeping it right where we want it. We don't want it to be liberated. We don't want it to be set free because we're benefiting from it. And we might not realize that we're benefiting from it. I get it. Maybe we don't really realize how we're benefiting from supremacy. But that's the way supremacy works is it's hidden. It becomes part of the background noise. It's like living next to an airport, right? Eventually, you're not going to hear it anymore. But you know what? Your brain hears it all the time. You might not hear it. Maybe you live next to a highway and you're like, I, you know, a, a, a family member visits and you're like, wow, y'all live next to the highway. You hear that? And you're like, what? I, I don't even notice it anymore, right? But your brain notices it. It causes a certain amount of stress in your brain. The same way that, that this, the systems, the unhealthy, unjust systems that we live in do, we get used to it and we operate in it and we become blinded to the way that that affects somebody else and then they, they get angry they've been living under this forever and they get angry and they say what are you doing we're like why are you why hey this is not my fault why are you getting so offended why you, can't we just talk as no no it's you know i think i think we we need to move from this from this space of fragility to resiliency 
right? Like we, we talk about that, right? When, when people who have lived privileged lives, when someone speaks up to that, we are really fragile and we get offended. Like there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing more powerful in the world. There's two, the two most powerful things in the world are uh, unicorn horns and the tears of a white person, right? Those are the two most powerful things in all the world. Because once we get offended, then like, whoa, we, we need to not be offended, right? you're privileged i mean i say i'm I'm terribly privileged you you know what i should be seeking i should be seeking the liberation of people who are suffering deeply that is my call that is our call as followers of jesus to to rejoice when jesus shows up and begins liberating and if there is some unhealthy market system that we are participating in by all means jesus have your way if you destroyed that, then that means that, need to be dis- that needed to be destroyed. And so we say, yes, Lord, have your way. Even if it is going to disrupt our lives, even if it is going to cause us to, to have to change our practices, to change our styles, to change our language, to change our interactions, then by all means, Jesus, do that. Have your way. Because our fundamental our fundamental perspective should always be namaste. I see God's image on you. And I want to be part of your freedom. I want to be part of your liberation. I want to be part of your flourishing. And if I can give up some part of myself that will benefit your flourishing, by all means, I will. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. That way of living moves us out of the tomb and it actually liberates us. This story is not... I mean, it is about a man who is demon-possessed living in the tombs. It was about him, but it also is a reflection of the whole community around him. Why was this community not understanding that a person has been liberated? Why was this community holding him in chains? Why was this community pushing him to the margins? Why was this community not attending to the needs of this man who was deeply hurting? Why did this community get more upset about their economics than they did than they, and refused to celebrate the liberation of another human? Because they were living in the tombs. They didn't see the sacred worth of another person. Only how that person would affect them. And so I think sometimes we too find ourselves living in the tombs of life, don't we? But there's a better way. Jesus is coming to liberate us and to reveal a humanity that is yet unknown but can be. A a humanity where we are all set free, where we are all empowered, where we are all liberated from the binding chains of dehumanization of other people. Racism and homophobia and whatever, like anything that we do that causes suffering to another person, we should say, Jesus, remove that from me. Set me free from that. Because our society is full of legion, full of demonic forces. I mean, we can say demonic forces, we can say evil forces. Our society is full of forces that dehumanize other people. And we somehow, sometimes, get attached to those things, don't we? We get attached to them. 
And then when somebody points it out, we've got a choice to make. Either we can get offended, no, I, or we can receive it with softness. I believe receiving it with softness is the first step to not being offended. Jesus says oftentimes, right? Blessed are they who are not offended in me. Why? Because the moment we get offended at something, it stops. There's no more conversation. We won't change ever. We're just protecting. We're just protecting our way of life. But if we refuse to be offended, when somebody points out something in us, whether it be our racism or the way that we've interacted, the way that we talk to people, our business, whatever it is, if we refuse to be offended, then change can happen. Then we can move, and actually, we can become stronger and better people when we receive the criticism of other communities. When we open ourselves up and say, what do you see about my life that I can't see? Yes. That's a space I think we need to be in, church. And so when Jesus comes into our lives through other people, when Jesus is speaking into our lives through other communities, may we be open, may we receive, may we hear with holy ears. The first step of this, I believe, is always looking at another person, seeing the goodness seeing the worth, and saying, namaste. Maybe we can interact with each other like that. Maybe that can become our default. Because I believe when we live like that, we're living the kingdom of God within us. We are living in a new sort of liberated freedom where we participate and celebrate someone else's liberation and in return we are liberated as well today in what ways is your life living in the tombs in what ways does your life need to be liberated in what ways have you attached yourself to forces that dehumanize other people and refuse to see it In what ways have you become cut off and offended, defensive for what other people might say to you, for the critique of your life? In what ways today can you celebrate the liberation of the communities around you? In what ways today can you embrace the work of Jesus' liberation instead of sending him away? Today, may we rise up from our tombs. May we receive liberation. And today, may we celebrate the liberation of others. May we say to our friends, to our neighbors, to our spouses, to our children, to everyone we interact with today and moving forward, namaste. I see you. I see the goodness, the God's spark the holiness that lives within you, and I celebrate that, and I participate in that future. Namaste, friends. Namaste. As we prepare our hearts for communion, let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for this day and your grace and your mercy. We give you thanks for your love. 
God, if we in any way are living in the tombs of dehumanization, if we are benefiting from hurting other people and we don't see it, Lord, we pray that you would reveal that to us today. We open our hearts, we open our minds and pray, Lord, that you would show us how we could change, how we could be transformed, how we could come out of the tombs that we've been living in. Lord, we pray that we would not be like this community that enslaved another person that kept them in the tombs that marginalized them in such a way and isolated them out of convenience lord help us to not be like that community help us to be a community of grace and hope and love and flourishing and liberation lord and invite you in to do your work of freedom to all people And that may we be, O Lord, the community that brings life, that embraces those who have been marginalized, that includes those who have been kept out. May we be that community who sees the goodness of your worth on every single person everywhere. Jesus, we surrender to you today. We give to you today our hearts, our futures, and our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.